My name is Corey Abney, lead pastor at Bell Shoals, and I approve this message. I always wanted to say that. Uh, I always wanted to say that. Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but we are in the midst of an election. (laughs) In a little over a week, we will wrap up another contentious political season that has certainly been filled with drama. And I know as you do that emotions are running high, ads are running regularly on our television screens, and opinions are being expressed freely and strongly. And so this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to address Christian liberty in the context of a democratic society. I want to talk for a few minutes about how Christians should operate within a democratic society that is often heated, hostile, and divisive. Next week, we will begin a new teaching series and a new emphasis for a new season of ministry here at Bell Shoals as we relaunch our pre-COVID schedule with multiple service and small group options. I hope you will attend and partner with us in this incredible mission and movement of which we are a part. But this morning, my fervent prayer and desires at our church and the church in general will counter the anger, hate, and hostility of our culture with the love grace, wisdom, and kindness of Jesus. America is a divided nation. Throw me my water, honey. (laughs) She's been telling me, she's like, the devil doesn't want you to say anything today. (laughs) I'll let you all be the judge of that. America is a divided nation. Strong opinions abound on every significant issue and the rhetoric is often angry, partisan, and divisive. Let Jason get that later. (laughs) If you need it, it's there for you. There's not much middle ground you may have noticed as two political parties dominate the landscape and they don't express much interest in working together. Election cycles, especially presidential ones, only seem to make matters worse. Slander and personal attacks are on the rise with no end in sight. Backroom deals are a part of getting things done as greed, power, and personal animus become common factors in our political system. The media only makes matters worse by publishing partisan rhetoric that sometimes includes anonymous articles by certain authors and personal attacks on political opponents. It seems that our democratic society is doomed to collapse under the weight of corruption, dishonesty, and a lack of clear direction. And although you may think I'm referencing our country's current political climate with these comments, I am not. Let me say this again. I'm not talking here about modern day America. Rather, I have just described the United States when we were a newly formed nation at the end of the 18th century. I recently finished reading Ron Chernow's outstanding biography of Alexander Hamilton, all 750 pages of it. It took me 12 and a half years to work my way through it. (laughs) It's a phenomenal read if you like history. But I was struck by the division, drama, and overall dysfunction of our early political system and our early political leaders. 
Without question, we have an amazing system that was founded by some incredible leaders, but the same issues that plague our culture now plagued theirs then. In fact, it was worse in some respects during the early days of our democracy. Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Paine, James Madison, James Monroe, just to name a few, were among several key leaders who published articles in newspapers under fake names or pseudonyms. Articles that were often filled with personal attacks on opponents and opinions. In fact, several news outlets were formed with the expressed intent of spreading one-sided opinions and perspectives. Some of our founding fathers despised each other. For instance, Alexander Hamilton and John Adams didn't exactly send Christmas cards to one another. Once good friends, Jefferson and Adams spent many years as political foes to the extent that they did not even speak to each other for a span of 12 years. It was only after the passing of close mutual friend, Benjamin Rush, that caused Adams and Jefferson to rekindle their friendship that resulted in the exchanging of 158 letters between them later in life. Now I mentioned the division and dysfunction of our early heroes and their political climate to remind us that our current situation is not new to our society. For many of us, the current cycle of division and dysfunction is incredibly sad and frustrating. We are grieved at the current state of corruption and morality and name calling. The tone of our discourse is anything but civil and a continual exposure to it can easily drop you in a rabbit hole of anger, frustration and exasperation. The absence of an unbiased press on either side of the political spectrum is disconcerting at best because it fuels the same type of opinionated bias and friction that surfaced in the early years of our republic. Of course, one new wrinkle for our society is social media, which only exacerbates the spread of reckless, foolish, and divisive communication because all of us have opinions that we highly respect. <laughs> and for some reason, we've convinced ourselves that the world needs to hear them. I mean, I can only imagine if Alexander Hamilton had access to a Twitter account. <laughs> All of this to say, it's easy for us to gather this morning with some measure of fear, frustration, exasperation, or all of the above. We may even think that our nation's current political climate is the worst it's ever been, but I wanna assure you that this is not the case. Not only was it worse in some ways during the early days of our nation, but after all, we literally spent four years engaged in a civil war where we lost over 600,000 of our own. So yes, I can definitively say that things have been worse in our nation, although this is certainly a season of tremendous challenge. And so we must not allow our current circumstances to become an excuse for callousness or ungodliness because with all of America's difficulties, we are still among the most blessed people in the history of the world with regard to where we live and the opportunities that we have. You see, our American democracy is both unique and special. We can be directly involved in the political process. We actually have a say in who governs us and what policies they implement. This is something that most people who live on the earth do not experience now and until 1776 never experienced. Just think about that. 
Democracy as a mankind system of government is less than 300 years old and was born out of our intolerance with corrupt monarchies and regimes that often led to revolt and coups. We have a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, which is an amazing privilege and responsibility. A democracy does not guarantee a perfect government, of course, but it does guarantee the opportunity to correct it without war and bloodshed. Again, we are incredibly blessed and privileged to live in a free society where we vote for leadership change instead of fight for it. This is one of the primary reasons why you and I should participate in the process. And so although things are tenuous in this current climate, we do not experience the same degree of difficulties that other believers experience in societies with corrupt regimes and monarchies. Listen, we really can't relate to what many other believers have experienced throughout the history of the church as they endured merciless persecutions under hostile emperors and leaders with no hope or possibility of enacting change in the political system. We can't relate to our brothers and sisters even today in places like China or Iran, where the gathering of the church is considered a hostile act. Is our political climate, presidential election, biased media, flawed leadership, a source of consternation? Yes. Are we still among the most blessed and privileged people to ever walk the face of the earth? Yes, we are. The United States of America is, warts and all, an incredible place to live. And God has strategically placed every single one of us here to maximize the opportunities that are before us, opportunities that most people today and throughout the history of the world have never enjoyed. And so the question is, how do we exercise our Christian liberty in a way that glorifies God in the context of our democratic society? How do we utilize our Christian liberty in a way that is for the good of our community and our nation? The simple answer is we look to the word of God for guidance and instruction because the word of God and the will of God is what is best for us. This is what we need more than anything else. Yes, we need the will of God no matter the context in which we find ourselves. And so my hope is that every person who's with us in the room and watching us online will come to experience the blessing of walking with God because there is nothing better than God's will for your life. And so as we discuss our role in society, I will not be telling you who to vote for. As a pastor in general and as a pastor of Bell Shoals in particular, it's not my job to tell people who they should vote for. My job, my calling, and my highest privilege is to do something much more profound and important. Not to tell you who to vote for, but to tell you who you should live for. And his name is Jesus. And so I wanna encourage every single one of you to live for King Jesus, to honor him with how you vote, how you live your life, how you interact with others and how you position yourself to be salt and light in the days to come. Let me say it one more time. There is nothing more important than God's will for your life. There is nothing more important than God's will for our church. There is nothing more important than God's will for our nation. And this is the focus of the Bible when addressing how Christians interact with government and political systems. 
To this end, let me share one of the most encouraging and convicting passages of scripture that relates to today's topic. We find it in 1 Peter chapter two. I'll have it here on the screens. Look at this with me. Peter says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that you live honorable lives and thus silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. And so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Peter was writing to believers, strangely enough, who were not free as you and I think of freedom. They were free in Christ. They were free in an ultimate sense from the oppression of this world and its leaders. But they were not free in the way that you and I are free in terms of living in a democratic society. These believers lived under the rule of Nero, a Roman emperor who was no friend to Christians, to put it mildly. In fact, Peter and Paul both died under the rule of Nero. Many other believers were beaten, imprisoned, or martyred themselves for their faith during this time in human history. And so Peter had every opportunity to tell believers to revolt, fight, resist, or to put it in today's terminology, post nasty things on social media. (laughs) Instead... He, along with other biblical authors, encouraged believers to conduct themselves with integrity, not allowing their social and political climate to become an excuse for ungodliness or damaged witness. He tells them to respect everyone, even the king or emperor who was responsible for so much suffering. In other words, Peter is more concerned with the spiritual and the relational than he is the political. And this is my concern as well. And so in formulating a response to how we should exercise our freedom within the context of our democracy, we need to consider the following. First of all, we need to savor the privilege of participation. As I've already said, it's an historical privilege that we get to participate in our political process. Therefore, we should not take it lightly. We are a people who are free in Christ and also free in our society. A number of you have served or are currently serving in the military and you've devoted or are currently devoting a significant part of your life to protect the liberties that all of us enjoy. I wanna thank you for your service and for helping to preserve the privileges that we have. We honor you today. I also wanna encourage all of us to maximize these liberties by voting and participating in the process. You see, electing capable officials of character and expertise requires an informed populace because an uninformed populace becomes dependent on the government leaders that they put into office. And when the populace is uninformed, they often elect leaders who are unqualified. Therefore, for our democracy to function properly, we need qualified persons to seek office who advocate policies that are helpful to society, that are elected by informed participants. 
Christians should be educated citizens who vote for candidates and leaders who promulgate what is right and best for our republic. And how do we know what is best for our country? We view a person's policies and platform through the lens of God's word. I'm ever mindful at this point of what Jesus taught us to pray in his model prayer when he said that we should be crying out to our Father in heaven in this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our goal and our participation is to be a voice for what most closely resembles God's will for us and our society. And to this end, I encourage you to consider the platform upon which a candidate stands more than personality or personal preference. At the presidential level, we have a binary election this year, which means that the next president of the United States will come from one of our two major political parties. This has not always been the case, and it most likely will not always be the case, but it is the case for this year. And so we must consider the policies that build the platform of the two major political parties at every election level before casting a vote. In my view, the most important policy issues are not political or economical, they are moral. So our primary concern should be related to moral and spiritual issues like the sanctity of human life, the redefinition of marriage, gender, and sexuality, and the assurance of religious liberty. Given the fact that every candidate at every level in every election is flawed to some extent, we must always consider which candidate stands on a platform that is most consistent with God's design. Now, this is not a knock on any candidate, of course, because all of us are flawed given the presence of sin. My point is that we too often get drawn into political decisions based on personal or preferential factors, ignoring the most important factors, which are always moral and spiritual, since these issues literally form the fabric of our families and thus the fabric of our society. And so the platform upon which any and every candidate stands is vitally important to the success of our society and our participation should always seek to promote political platforms that not perfectly, but most closely reflect God's will for us. Now, not only should we savor the privilege of participation, but secondly, I wanna encourage you to cultivate a proper perspective. We must remember that, as Peter reminds us, we are temporary residents and foreigners in this world. Did you catch that? We are temporary residents and foreigners. Because of what Jesus has done for us through the bodily resurrection, everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And thus, heaven is our home and our place of permanent residence. And although we haven't arrived home yet, we are well on our way and this current world is just an extended Airbnb for Christ followers. See, this grounds us in a toxic and tumultuous political climate like the one we're in now. And it reassures us of the fact that our God is in control over all things so that no matter who wins this year's presidential election or any election for that matter, we know that he has a plan and a purpose that no man can thwart. Our citizenship is in heaven. And here's the thing, heaven is not a democracy. Listen to me very carefully. 
We are not heading home to a democracy, but a monarchy where a sovereign, gracious, loving, and merciful king rules and reigns over all. You see, his kingdom is characterized by peace, kindness, wisdom, and justice. His monarchy works because he only does what is right, and our great king only acts in the best interest of his citizens. Therefore, we have an obligation to live for our king now, to submit to his will now, to serve him and his causes now and to bring honor and glory to him right now. And as wonderful as it is to live in the United States, a democracy is not our destination and we must continually cultivate this perspective. We are foreigners and strangers. You see, many believers live in societies that are hostile to Christianity where Christ followers are heavily persecuted for their beliefs and practices. This has always been the case. This will continue to be the case, and it may even be the case at some point in the future for those of us living in the United States. But we can take heart in the example of faithful believers who have gone before us, men like Joseph and Daniel, who influenced their hostile cultures for the Lord. Christians who lived under Roman rule and were faithful to God in the midst of even heavy persecution. Our role is to honor those whom God places in authority over us, to pray for our leaders and to influence our culture for Christ. We must live in such a way that we participate in our process of a democratic society, accepting the results, staying focused on what's most important and uniting together for the work of our common good. Listen to what the Lord tells the exiles of Israel who were living in the pagan land of Babylon in Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. In other words, don't revolt. Don't don't seek out your own society. No, you you are in Babylon under exile. So build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But look at this. The Lord says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is an amazing truth that we should seek the welfare of our great country because in its welfare, we will find our own. We should be salt and light in our society, fighting for the sanctity of human life, for a godly view of marriage, sexuality, and gender, and for religious liberty. But even if our society moves from bad to worse, we will press on knowing that God uses suffering and persecution as much, if not more, than prosperity and blessing for the advance of his kingdom. And so we seek the welfare of our nation because in its welfare, we will find our our own. But even if our nation continues to turn away from God, we will do all that we can for its good and for God's glory. I think of Acts 8.1, which describes a situation in which the early church grew under heavy persecution. The scripture says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Listen, the church was scattered under heavy persecution, but what these unbelieving leaders failed to contemplate is the fact that as all of these believers spread out across 
Asia Minor, they took the gospel with them and revival broke out. How did God send revival across the Middle East and Asia Minor into Europe and ultimately into Western civilizations? He did it through persecution. (laughs) The church was scattered, but so was the gospel. People who were hostile to believers tried to stop Christianity's advance, but they only accelerated it. Listen to me. Let me say it again. There is no plan or purpose of our God that can be thwarted and no harm that can come upon any one of God's children without his permission. And so we cannot allow this current political season to distract us, to divide us, or to discourage us. Because as my friend Russell Moore reminded us four years ago, when commenting on the fact that the church is often viewed as being on the wrong side of history, he said, quote, the wrong side of history. We started on the wrong side of history with the Roman empire and a cross, but now Rome is dead and Jesus is alive. (laughs) And so this is the perspective that we need to continually cultivate. We serve a king who is alive, who rules and reigns over all, and we are citizens of his kingdom, a kingdom that will endure forever. So no matter how bad things get, how frustrating, how discouraging, we stand on solid ground. As the great hymn writer said, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And so we need to participate in our process in order to utilize our Christian liberty well. We need to cultivate a proper perspective, but finally, let me encourage us to maintain a godly posture. Really, this is the focus of Peter's encouragement to us. He reminds us, and this is incredibly convicting, that we should be careful to live properly among our unbelieving neighbors. Man, that's a good word. Peter said this 2,000 years ago before social media existed. (laughs) He he encouraged our, our perspective with the reminder that we are foreigners and aliens and strangers in this world and that we have a home that is secure under the monarchy of King Jesus. But but then he 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 challenges us to maintain a godly posture toward the world in which we live. He says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. In my view, This is probably the most difficult aspect of Christian liberty within democratic society, namely that we maintain such a godly posture in our participation that if people are offended by our perspectives, the offense is related to our convictions and not our conduct. If people are offended by our perspectives, the offense is related to our biblical principles and not our social media posts. To use a biblical analogy, if there's a stumbling block coming out of our witness, the stumbling block is the gospel and not our behavior. It's the gospel and not our disposition. It's the gospel and not our tone. It's okay for the gospel to be the stumbling block. It's never okay for you or I to be the stumbling block. This is my greatest concern in our current political climate, I have to tell you. You see, Peter is offering this challenge to a group of believers, let me just remind you again, who had it far worse than we do. They could more easily justify anger and hostility toward the unbelieving world. And yet Peter urges even them to live properly among these unbelievers. 
After all, listen to me, we can't expect the world to look like the church. And although we are grieved over the increasing distortion of God's design in our society, we cannot be surprised when people who are far from God act and live like people who are far from God. This is the way it works. Again, although I'm grieved, and I know you are grieved by many aspects of where our nation is trending, I am more disappointed when fellow believers act like unbelievers than when unbelievers act like unbelievers because this is what I expect. Now listen, this is especially true when it comes to how we balance our political positions with our gospel witness. Notice that biblically, one is more important than the other, which is the reason that our posture is so very important. Now, let me offer a caveat here to those who hold political office on a local, state, or national level, or those who serve in strategic roles within our government. Bell Shoals is blessed to have several members and friends who hold political office or in, they're in strategic roles within our government. And I am so grateful for these godly men and women and their families who deal with so much in order to serve our community, our state, and our nation. As I've said in the past, we need godly men and women to endure the unique pressures and difficulties of serving the public interest. And we are blessed to be connected with some outstanding men and women who are representing us and most importantly, the Lord Jesus in an incredible way. These men and women are given a responsibility to speak with the media on a regular basis, to debate with other officials, to work with a wide range of individuals and organizations and to work within a challenging system to bring about the public good. And so again, I thank God for those of you who are serving and I assure you that Bell Shoals will continue to pray for you and to support you in the days to come. But for the rest of us, for the most of us who are not working full-time in our government or political system, it's good for us to remember that our social media posts are not equivalent to a White House press release. Believe it or not, and this may be news to some of you, the election does not hinge on something that you or I post on social media. The fate of our republic does not hinge on a water cooler argument at work. Our job is not to battle the press, to defend or attack the president based on who is in office to argue with our followers about a political position or to advance the agenda of a state or local leader. We can certainly express support and participate in the process as we should. And these privileges are ours due to the society in which we live. But please lean in here. We must be very intentional to communicate in a manner that does not compromise our witness. Hear the word of God when it says that we must live properly among our unbelieving neighbors and respect everyone, even leaders with whom we may strongly disagree. Our posture before the world matters much. This is the reason that I cringe when I hear of the growing number of churches and ministries that are politicizing what they do on both sides of the aisle. And so I want to be crystal clear about my vision for Bell Shoals and the church at large. As after today, this might be the last time I have the opportunity to speak to you. <laughs> and so I want you to hear up front my vision for us. 
The mission of the church and the mission of our church is not to save people from the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, but to save sinners from a Christless eternity. And if our posture before the world and our community prevents us from reaching and receiving sinners from every political persuasion and every walk of life, then we might as well close our doors because we have lost our reason for existing as a church. Listen, I don't want Bell Shoals to be known as a place where you have to be a Republican or a Democrat or an independent to gather to worship the God of America. I want us to be known as a place where sinners saved by grace gather to worship the King of glory because the last time I checked, there are plenty of sinners in every political party who are in desperate need of salvation and this glorious salvation will not be delivered to the world through a political party, but through a redeemed people known as the church. This is our mission. This is God's design. And this is the reason that not me, but the New Testament, the word of God, exhorts Christ followers, especially those in difficult political circumstances to conduct themselves in a manner that their posture does not hinder their witness. Listen, we are seeing a significant number of individuals and families connect with Bell Shoals for the very first time, both in the room and online. And if you're new to Bell Shoals, I want you to know that we welcome every single one of you, regardless of who you voted for in the last election, who you're voting for in the current election, or the political party with which you are registered. We want you to know that we are a gracious, loving, and welcoming church who would love the opportunity to connect with you for the purpose of introducing you to the one true and living God who can change your life for the better. We hope that during your visits with us, you're inspired and encouraged to seek after God and his will for your life. Because as I said earlier, there is nothing better than knowing God and his will for you and your family. Our highest privilege and priority is not to introduce you to a political party, but to a personal savior. Because here's some good news for all of us. Jesus doesn't check your voter registration prior to saving you. Jesus doesn't ask you to clean up your life prior to saving you. Jesus doesn't ask you to do everything right prior to saving you. He only asks that you turn from your sin and self-reliance and believe that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross in order to incur the judgment of God in your place. And he rose from the dead, securing eternal resurrected life for all who believe. That is our starting point. And from there, we grow in our faith. We grow in our understanding of God's word and God's will. That shapes our interaction and our belief system. That guides our perspective and our participation in our democracy. But the starting point is always the gospel. And I want especially those of you who are new to the Bell Shoals Faith family to know that you are welcomed, you are appreciated, and you are valued. Because our highest privilege and priority is to introduce you to the salvation of Jesus. And this Jesus has called his bride, the church, to participate in our current democracy in such a way that we cultivate a proper perspective and we maintain a godly posture. 
This is the call of God on every believer in every political system because we can never allow our system or circumstances to become excuses for dishonorable words or actions. As Peter says, we are a free people, but we should never use our freedom as an excuse to do evil. Paul adds this, when talking about how we should pray for men and women who hold positions of authority. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 2. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And then he concludes with this. This is good and pleases God, our savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Over the next week and a half, we have the incredible privilege to both participate in our democratic system and pray for our elected leaders. And so let's make sure we do both of these things in a way that brings glory to God, that promotes his will, his best, his design, and in a way that encourages other people. So that as Peter said, even if we are accused of doing wrong by a hostile world, the unbelieving world will see our honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world.